the upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. John Paz, and with me as always is the star of the show, former WWE Tag Team Champion, eight-time Smoky Mountain Wrestling Tag Team Champion, as well as one of the greatest trainers in the history of professional wrestling. He is the Doctor of Desire, Tom Pritchard. Tom, how are you today? Doing tremendous as always. It's always a good day uh, here in Knoxville, Tennessee, and uh, I'm uh, I'm always looking forward to uh, talking to you and. Uh, Seeing what we have next. Now, we will be getting into it in the coming weeks, but so many people have been talking about this FCW documentary, the stuff that they're doing on the network as far as WWE is concerned, and they're kind of all going back to that era. And so many people, including Natalia, including Tyson Kidd, including one Rob Naylor, they're all saying, I love that Dr. Tom is getting the credit he deserves. What are your thoughts on this? Well, first of all, I thought they did a great job on the documentary, and uh, uh, everybody involved who came down uh, to talk about it here in Knoxville with us, uh, uh, man, they spent a lot of time, and, and uh, I just had the opportunity to see it, and um, I I tell you, it was a little overwhelming. <laughs> there were times it got it was a little emotional seeing some of the pictures and reminding my uh, reminding me of some of the memories that we had there. And I I just I, again I'm grateful and uh, thankful for everybody's comments and and everybody's memories of FCW because it really was a special time. Uh, and looking back. It does seem so archaic compared to what they have now in the PC. So, uh, yeah, it, it, it's a great thing, I think. Is that one of those things where they send you an advanced copy of it, or you have to actually watch it yourself on the network? No, no, yeah, I, I watched it. Uh, Ashok, uh, the digital director, uh, I believe it's Ashok Moore, he sent me some um, uh, bites and some sound bites from it, uh, little clips, and it, right before they, they were put on the website, but now I, I watched it uh, when it came out, just like everybody else. Oh, you don't get like an advanced screening? Oh, man. No, I think they're busy too, and um, uh, it was just as well because it made the anticipation that much better. So this week, 
on taking you to school, I wanted to kind of do a little bit of a retrospective on one of your best friends in the wrestling business, one of the all-time greats, perhaps one of the most underrated of all time, but we'll definitely get into your thoughts on that. But talking about one, Brad Armstrong. So when did you first meet Brad Armstrong? And basically, what was kind of your first thoughts on the first meeting? I, I met Brad Armstrong early in, uh, I, I, it was either 1981 or 82 when uh, uh, Jim Barnett came to Texas. I was wrestling in Texas at the time and um, booked me in Atlanta. Uh, and when I got to Atlanta, the very first day, uh, it was Brad Armstrong, Nick Patrick, um, Tommy Rich, I don't think Johnny was there yet, but but I just remember Tommy, John, or Tommy and Brad, Nick, uh, Tommy Rogers was there too. I remember that, and uh, I met him at the studio at Techwood Drive. Uh, everybody showed up for promos, and uh, Saturday was TV, and that was a live TV at, at that time too. Early Saturday morning, I believe it was like uh, eight o'clock, nine o'clock in the morning, something like that. And uh, Brad was just this guy. He came over very friendly, uh, friendly to everybody, cracking jokes. I remember him from the first time, cracking jokes, and, and, and but being very, very friendly and very, very nice to everybody. I uh, met Bob Armstrong that, that same day. Um, Steve Olsonowski wrestled with Steve-O, uh, Frank Morrell, Ron Bass. Uh, hell, there, there, there was a lot of guys here, but Brad... Um, instantly became like a travel partner. Brad, Tommy, and uh, Nick Patrick all rode together, and they invited me to to go to the towns with them, and I did. And uh, we became riding buddies and fast friends. So it was one of those things that it was an instant connection, and uh, it just it 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 continued on like that, and uh, that's how it started. It just started, and it was one of those guys that uh, no matter where we went, um, he knew what to do, knew what to say, and knew how to put people at ease. So it wasn't just me who considered him uh, a best friend, I, I believe. He was my best friend, but uh, it's like the old say, old quote, I guess, in uh, with Wyatt Earp and uh, Doc Holliday, you know, why why are you going to help Doc? So well, because because uh, he's my friend. And the guy says, "Well, hell, I got a bunch of friends." And Doc Holliday says, "Well, I don't." You know, hmm. so it's kind of like that. Uh, you know, I would I would have done anything for Brad, and I think he felt the same way about me. And he, and, he, and it was usually that way. It was just uh, there's a few guys you you were acquaintance with, and uh, very few that, that I shared the friendship I did with Brad. Now, excuse me if I'm wrong here, but you're what, maybe two, three years older than Brad? I yeah, I think I was three years older, maybe. Did you have more experience wrestling wise, or because he came obviously from Bob Armstrong and the legendary Armstrong family, did he have more experience than you or, or when no, you first met? I I believe uh I might I started in nineteen seventy nine, so I think we might have started about the same time or maybe he started a year later, but he was uh God Almighty, he was a natural uh, from day one. I saw some of his early stuff, and uh, and I worked with him over the years too. So 
Um, I think we were about the same, pretty close to the same uh, uh, experience-wise. When you first kind of get in the ring with him, and I believe it was probably about 1982, Georgia Championship Wrestling, when you first get in the ring with him, you're like, man, this guy's special? Or like, what is the thought process of getting in the ring with him? And I believe teaming with him first. Uh, well, yeah, teaming with him, um, gosh, teaming with him, uh, once again, you know, going over a match in, in a tag team in a singles match, totally different, but uh, uh, we, I got the idea we were both going to get equal amount of time, and and he wasn't uh, he wasn't out there to outshine anybody. He did just by his work, but he wanted to make sure that everybody had a chance to to do their thing. So I knew that um, uh, had an idea just because of his pedigree and who who his family was that he was uh, uh, a hell of a worker, and you could tell he was a hell of a worker just by uh, just by watching him. But but again, Bob Armstrong had this reputation. Uh, even if you hadn't wrestled in Georgia or Alabama or any of the southern states like that. You, if you were in the business, you knew the name Bob Armstrong. Uh, so Brad, naturally, there were high expectations and high hopes for him um, when he first started out. But, yeah, when I first got in the ring with him, I, I had a feeling this guy obviously knew his stuff. You know, sometimes one fan or one person will watch a wrestler and they'll say one thing and then they'll say it's subjective and another guy is Brad Armstrong one of those guys where everyone would, would have to say great worker hell of a performer no no not at all because I've, I've even read it before where I've, I've made comments like uh, Brad Armstrong was in the top five of the greatest wrestlers uh, during his era now and it is subjective. It really is because people have come back and says no, I've never, never seen it that way. But these are people who didn't uh, see Brad's all-around abilities or character or persona. Um, Brad was special in the way that he could go out and make everyone look better than they were. He did it with me on many, many occasions. But he, he was also... Uh, the life of the locker room. He was the guy that would come in, and uh, if he had a bad day or if it was just a sour mood or tensions were high, yeah, listen to Brad after five minutes, he would break the ice, he would break the tension. He was, he was a great guy to have on your crew. He was somebody who, who understood how to uh, maneuver backstage and uh, have fun, make it a good night. Um, and I, I think the people who didn't know Brad or didn't see Brad, uh, who, who were only into the face paint and high spot, uh, style couldn't understand how great Brad was because without guys like Brad or without, uh, Brad, let me say that there would be no them you need, you know, it, uh, you don't get over on your own. You, you don't just go out there and all of a sudden, hey, you're over. You you can go out and have a great entrance, and uh, and you still have to perform the ring. You have to have people make you look great. And that that was the uh, – don't get me wrong. Brad was good at being a, a, a top guy himself, but uh, I've made comments before where people have sent me remarks back saying, oh, no, he wasn't. Well, yeah, he was, and I guess it is subjective. 
but everything in this business is subjective because it, it's it's that kind of business. But the telltale signs are uh, when you go to a big man's territory like Louisiana, and Ernie Ladd, who is seven foot tall, legit, uh, asks to put you over for the North American Championship, the title, the belt in the territory. Um, it, it says a lot about your reputation. It says about a lot how much. Uh, it says a lot about the respect that you've earned and and carried with you. Brad was always humble. Brad was always. Uh, uh, mindful of who he was in the ring with and who who was back in the locker room, <clears throat> and that's that was the um, uh, the charm and the aura and and uh, the vibe that he brought with him in and out of the ring. Uh, so the people who don't know don't know. And and an, another thing, Ric Flair would ask to work with Brad specifically, not just on TV. I'm talking about on house shows when he would come to the uh, Continental Wrestling Association, uh, Continental, Wrestling, Continental, Continental Championship Wrestling in Birmingham, Pensacola. You know, at that time, it would usually be Ron Fuller, Jimmy Golden, Bob Armstrong, and Robert Fuller who would get the title shots. And uh, Rick would ask on, on a, to, to put Brad – on some of those matches, and he because twofold, uh, it, Rick enjoyed working with Brad, but he also wanted to make Brad, and and he did on on more than one occasion. I saw it. I've seen some great matches uh, go over an hour with Rick Flair and, and uh, Brad Armstrong. So, um, it is subjective. I'll, I'll give you that. But the ones who know and, and the people who uh, who look for what it makes and what it takes to make a, a great match. Um, I don't believe there was any argument, especially during these early years, that Brad was one of the top five guys that uh, all the top guys wanted to work with. So just looking it up and trying to find the earliest match where you guys were together, it looks like May of 1982 for Georgia Championship Wrestling in a tag match against Chick Donovan and Ricky Harris, a.k.a. Black Bart. Do you remember this at all? Ah, oh, man, I got to tell you, I, uh, <laughs> I of course, remember Chick and, and Black Bart. Uh, but, uh, you know, I've had a few matches between now and then. Plus, I think I might have slept one or two nights. <laughs> I, I don't remember that particular match. Um, but uh, I do remember the attitude of Black Bart back then, and, and he was always a good guy. He was a, a a big teddy bear wrapped up in this big, mean, romping, stomping, tobacco chewing, spitting uh, persona. But but I believe he saw two young guys uh, that he could do something with, and, I, and no doubt we had a, a pretty damn good match with them. Chick was the same way. Chick, Chick. We could do a whole show on Chick Donovan in itself because I knew Chick when I first started in Los Angeles, and he was always a unique character slash persona. And even to this day, it over uh, he's I think he just turned seventy two or seventy three years old. He is still the Golden Boy and still wants to wrestle and still gets in the ring as the Golden Boy. So I, I got to give him credit and give him props for. Uh, for loving the business that much, even at 73 years old or whatever he is. Um, and and back then, uh, you know, it was, uh, I, I think it was a different mindset, if you will, between Black Bart and uh, 
uh, Chick Donovan. Of course, it was, he was Rick Harris then. Uh, and I think they were just wanting to have good matches, too, and impress everybody. So I'm sure uh, between the four of us, we all wanted to have uh, – our goal that night was to have a good match, and I'm sure we did. Then you would start some one-on-one matches against Brad. How did that go? I mean, easy, smooth, like you said, one of the best workers. This is 1982 now. Was he that easy, smooth, and great to work with all the way back then? Yes, and you can tell when you lock up with someone exactly how how their balance is, um, their their footwork, their their leverage, their their are they leaning on you? Are they not? I didn't know all that back then, but I remember how it felt from the first time locking up with somebody, and. Uh, that was that was exactly how it was with Brad. We would call it in the ring. Uh, we had a few things uh, set up if it came up, and that you know at that stage of the game, just about two years in, uh, and he he was maybe two years in too, three years, whatever it may be. And uh, I just remember going out there, uh, feeding for an arm drag, doing the the baby face spots back and forth. And uh, that could be either good or it could be really, really bad. If you have a baby face that doesn't understand, this is the match we're selling. We want to show two quick young guys trying to get the upper hand. I think I, Now, I do remember in that match, I believe, because we did it a couple times, we threw a double drop kick. You know, we both threw a drop kick at the same time. And uh, yeah, we, he would catch me with one, I would catch him with one, then we both go to catch each other at the same time, and it just a double knockdown, a double knockout, or, or double down, whatever it may be, and uh, and come up and react to it. So the 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 intangible, um, unteachable, I don't know if they're unteachable, but hard to teach elements in the business are reacting and relaxing. Um, and I remember every match with Brad. I, I don't remember ever having a bad match with Brad because he knew how to react. He'd been in it his whole life. I had watched my whole life, and uh, I think we both were reacting accordingly and naturally. So um, babyface or heel, uh, I, I've never had a bad match with Brad. So as you move along, you eventually team up yet again in Georgia Championship Wrestling. And I'm going to say this. I think you're probably going to remember the Wild Samoans and them beating you. Do you remember that um, well, for the I, national tag team titles? I, I do. I do. Um, because I, I had been to Japan uh, after my first year uh, wrestling in Los Angeles. I went to Japan uh, with the Wild Samoans, Sika and Afa. So this was a big match for me um, to, to get to work with them later on, too, and obviously now in Georgia Championship Wrestling. So, uh, and, and once again, uh, the, the things I take away from matches are how everybody approaches uh, the match, how everybody comes in with their attitude and, and their way of uh, – seeing how it's supposed to go in their head. And, again, you know, Alpha and Sika were old pros, and they understood what it took, and they were going out and working for the match. And they knew they had two hungry green guys, and Brad and myself. So it was, again, it was a hell of a time, hell of a match. You get in the ring and have two big men who understood this is the object 
of what we're trying to get across. And uh, if, if it if they made us look good, they knew that it would make them look good because we would sell and we did sell. Um, and and that was that was the idea. So yeah, the the only thing I can say about that one too is uh, it was a pleasure to be in the ring with uh, three great pros. I'm talking about the Samoans and Brad. So I, I uh, yeah, I have I have fond memories of that. Whenever I talk to a wrestler, and we're always talking, you know, the Samoans obviously been around forever. Even each incarnation of Samoans wrestling forever. I always say, wow. They look like they're so stiff in their ring. Or you look like you may have to worry about them. Often, Sika seems so intimidating, especially when I was a kid as a fan. My God, these two are scary. Any Is that intimidation real? Are they stiff at all? Because, I mean, it looks like they are, but, I mean, maybe I'm completely wrong. Well, well, yeah, you're completely wrong, at least with us. Uh, now, I will say this. If, if, if you get on the bad side of uh, any of the Samoans that I know, um, I know they would, they're very capable of being stiff. I've seen uh, uh, Yokozuna, when he was Kokina, uh, slap a guy down a flight of stairs in Pensacola. I mean, right, well, rightfully so, but um, who's to say rightfully so? I mean, I just, and I, I've worked with, uh, I've worked with a few uh, of our Samoan friends, and never one time, have they ever been stiff? And that's the art of what we do is to make it look like this is killing you and uh, you can come back the next night and, and do it again. So, and if they wanted to eat you alive and if they wanted to make you look bad and if they, if you, they didn't want to cooperate, by God, you're going to have a long night. And uh, so, again, I think it just goes back to uh, the respect and wanting to do to do a good job and wanting to have the best match on the card. And I think that's what everybody was looking to do back then. So as you and Brad move along kind of together, I mean, not really, you know, succinctly together perfectly, but kind of moving along together. A few years later, you meet up down the road, UWF, AKA mid South wrestling, and you'll start teaming again. Is that one of those things where just naturally the magnets kind of come together and you teaming, or is it something you guys requested? No, back you know, we when I when I first started out, I I knew um, what business was, and I understood that uh, there were opportunities that were going to come up, but I wasn't really in tune with what I needed to do at that time, but. When we got hooked up in Louisiana, Mid-South, I had just come back from being uh, doing a year in Portland with uh, Don Owen and came in, and there was not really a position open. But, you know, looking back on it, Bill Watts was, gosh, you know, for all the criticism, and I don't know that there's that much criticism, but I've read some criticism about him. He All he really asked of you is to work hard and do your job, show up on time. Um, and give, he would give young guys an opportunity. Uh, so when I came back to, to the Louisiana area, uh, I moved in with Brad Armstrong and, and Tim Horner. We were living in uh, Shreveport, I believe. And 
we were making 3,000-mile weeks. You know, you hear about that, and people wonder, well, how the hell did you do that? Well, you get in your car and you go. You go to the gym, and uh, you leave from the gym with your bag, and you go to the next town, and the next town, and you find a gym. You know, it was it was great. And um, being young guys, Watts was looking for uh, the next thing. This was right after the Rock and Roll Express, Midnight Express, uh, year-long angle and they they just come off the best year ever so you know when you have it so hot eventually you're going to cool down i understood that but i was there and and um having a good time and i think it was just natural to put two young guys together uh as a tag team on tv and a couple times we did in house shows and and just to see if there's any chemistry there and that's what you did back then and that's that's kind of what they're going back to now experimenting. Uh, I think the PC probably has the opportunity to do that even more so, uh, having shows at full sale and having these uh, spot shows and house shows around the country. So it was just, it, it's it's one thing about the business that you'll, uh, I don't think will ever change, is you'll always try new things. You'll try this combination, that combination, see what works and see what doesn't. And uh, it's kind of like you try a bunch of things and keep what works. And, uh, you know, Brad was – Brad could work with anybody, whether it's uh, being a team or uh, in a singles match. But, um, you know, Mid-South was a, was a great opportunity. Like I said, that was – when he first got there, they put him over Ernie Ladd, seven-foot-tall monster, 300 pounds at that time. And Ernie – uh, could have gone out and beat him in, in 30 seconds or three seconds, but he didn't want to. He didn't. He didn't feel the need to. Didn't feel it was right. And to be able to team with Brad there uh, after he had already been put over like that, I thought, oh my God, here's another great opportunity. It is kind of like a big sign of respect, Ernie Ladd, the big guy in the big man's territory during that big man era, losing to the small man and Brad Armstrong. I mean, that, that's you're right ton of respect and obviously they saw something in him big time yeah and and you you i i don't know that anybody can really grasp that today because the business has really changed so much and and granted the world's changed but um yeah it, it said a lot for brad armstrong but i think he would have still uh he, he he would have had that respect again today, and it just goes to show uh, because you have Road Dog and you have Scott, uh, also now WWE, and and they're highly respected as well. So I mean, the whole family uh, earned respect wherever they went. They commanded respect just by uh, not not just what they did in the ring, but by the way they handled themselves backstage. And uh, Bob, no doubt. Well, he was the leader of the clan. He was the leader of the man, he, the family. He was the leader of the uh, locker room. Uh, so and it just carried down. It carried down to Brad, and it carried down to uh, to all the brothers. As you're in Mid-South, there's other teams, like you mentioned, Rock and Roll Express, Midnight Express, Jack Victory and Jake Roberts, who you guys take on, was a team. The Dirty White Boys, who was Lynn Denton and Tony Anthony. So they got a pretty good tag division at this point. So it is kind of cool to see them testing it out and seeing, okay, you know, maybe these two guys do have it. You know what I mean? Like that's like a really good sign. You're in there with all those other great teams. 
Yeah, yeah, it really was. But but once again, it's it's one of those things that you have to recognize and you have to take advantage of. And I think, uh, well, I know, especially at that time, I was just happy to be there. And you can't be complacent. You can't be just happy to be there. Brad had already had his run as North American champ. Uh, Brad was still in the mix. They, you know, DiBiase loved working with him. Everybody loved working with Brad. So, um, but you you have to recognize and you have to. Uh, step up and uh brad was already he was in the mix he's gonna be in the mix so um it was it was great it was a great opportunity and and the opportunity i got in mid-south with bill watts coming to me i'll never forget this uh, after a match one time with ed carbu uh i think it was ed carbu thompson or harris or whatever it was uh and he asked me if I ever thought about being a heel. And I said, every day. He goes, yeah, I can I can see it when you walk out. He said, we're going to turn you heel at TV. And I said, great. And that opened up things. And, and then as I got to be a heel, uh, you know, I turned on Tim Horner. The, the angle didn't go so smooth, but but <laughs> I dropped him on the guardrail. It didn't, uh, didn't work the way we wanted it to work, but, but it still got the point across. And then that opened me up to uh, – uh, working working against Brad and working against Tim. What are your thoughts on Tim Horner? I know Jimmy Cornette, not the biggest fan of him in the world. What are your thoughts on Tim? Uh, Tim was a tremendous worker. Uh, my gosh, man. I mean, uh, you, you go out and, and have a great match, and, and he had that baby face fire. Um, he believed it when he was in the ring, and that's that's all you can really ask for is somebody to come come back and, uh, fire back on you, and um, I had good matches with Tim. And I know during your heel turn in Mid-South, you did team with Pat Rose against Brad Armstrong and Brickhouse Brown. Sure, there were some other matches as well, but that's just one that uh, I was looking up. I was like, that's an interesting kind of pairing, you and Pat Rose, and then obviously Brickhouse and Brad It is very interesting as well. Well, once again, you know, you, you, Pat Rose is a tremendous worker. Pat Rose is another guy who, who – uh, periodically would get an opportunity to get a chance, man, and go go in the ring and, and show what he was made of. And Pat was a tough guy. Pat was was a, a hell of a worker, too. And Brickhouse, um, I don't think Brickhouse gets enough credit because I've worked with him a few times, and he had something about him. He had charisma uh, and timing, and uh, I had some, some pretty good matches with Brickhouse, too. So, uh, yeah, Deep South or Mid South, not Deep South. Mid South was a um, uh, a great place to be, and and looking back in hindsight, you know, Bill Watts uh, was all about giving a young guy an opportunity, and for all the criticism that I've read and heard and listened to over the years. It sounds like a lot of guys just had sour grapes. Could he be hard to get along with? No doubt. If you're in a top position, you think you're you're not being treated fairly. Well, um, it's not your territory. You're not the boss. You're you're pretty much an I don't want to say employee because we were all independent contractors, obviously. But uh, you you still have to. Uh, know that this guy's giving you an opportunity. Bill Watts is giving you an opportunity to uh, make your way, make a reputation, 
and earn your way. He did it with the grappler. He gave the grappler his gimmick with the boot, the loaded boot. I mean, he's he's given Jerry Stubbs an opportunity. He's given uh, Bob Sweetan, uh, Buck Robley, so many guys through the years. Uh, Brad Armstrong, <laughs> and, and, of course, Tim Horner, too, giving us all an opportunity, and, and you have to realize uh, that opportunity when it comes in your lap, and you, you can't just let it sit there. You have to uh, act on what you're given. And, um, you know, guys like, like Brad did and guys like Pat Rose did, and uh, I wish I would have. <laughs> so there we go. Better tag team, you and Brad or the Lightning Express of Brad and Tim Horner? Uh, I always thought me and Brad were a better tag team, but I'll say that always because I, I was – I thought it was a better tag team. No, I, the Lightning Express was was what it was. I mean, um, the, you you had two guys who were friends and and they known each other for a long time, and uh, uh, it was it was an opportunity for them to uh, to be used and in, into in working against other teams. And I thought Tim and Brad were a great team. Um, so, but but I thought uh, I'll always say that just just to piss his owner off. <laughs> King Kong Bundy told me, obviously before he passed, he had mentioned to me that Tim Horner, and this is crazy that he remembered this, and I don't even remember the year, but he knew the exact year and basically the month. Tim Horner ratted him, ratted out Bundy that he was late for a bus to Bill Watts, and he never forgot it oh my 35 God. years later. Wait crazy? a minute. He, he, <laughs> I'd never heard that. No? no? Yeah. It doesn't surprise me, but, you know, I never heard that. I mean, um, because why when, would – when Bundy, I'm sorry. When Bundy saw him at uh, WrestleCade, uh, it was uh, not last year, but the year before. He went up to Horner and was like having words with him. He said, "You don't remember 1984? You ratted me out." Like he was like still pissed about it. He was running late. I guess <laughs> Horner wanted to leave or something, and he ratted him out to Bill Watts. Wow! Wow! Well, um, you know, I I don't know what to say to that. Although I, I, it doesn't. I, I'm not shocked. I mean, but I, but but I, you, you know, here here's on a side note. Um, my my take on uh, just the business and being on the road is there has to be some kind of code, whether it's a code of honor or a code of ethics or whatever you want to call it, man, I don't care. Just, just have a code that you live by. And and if you're going to live with the boys and, and travel with the boys, uh, you better know um, where you stand and, and they better know where you stand. So uh, I always took it as like a band of pirates uh, sailing down the road in their, in their pirate ship uh, in the car, whatever you want to call it, and that—I've never been a big fan of Stooges. Even even when I was coaching, I just don't um, don't respect Stooges. Uh, so uh, that's that's kind of how I feel about that. Yeah, I just couldn't believe he remembered it from like thirty-five years I, that, ago. Like, but, he was like. That, no, that that's something to remember, though, because it's one of those things, was that really necessary? Was it really necessary to go to the boss and say, hey, Bundy's late for this bus, and that's why we're late, or something, whatever it may be. If you're going to cover your own ass, I mean, but was it really necessary? Maybe in Tim's mind it was. I don't know, but I, I, I don't know. I mean, I just, 
I know <laughs> I don't have any problems with Tim these days, and I don't want any problems with anybody these days, quite honestly. So back to the subject at hand with Brad Armstrong. So you guys go to Continental, CCW, CWF, whatever you want to call you guys, end up back in you know Birmingham, basically, sometimes uh, Columbus, Mississippi, obviously Florida. So you're in that territory. You're back. But – kind of on the opposite sides of the spectrum. So it'll be Brad and the bullet versus uh, you and Jerry Stubbs or Brad versus you one-on-one. What's kind of your thoughts basically maybe a few years later and him kind of maybe even getting better or yourself even getting better? Well, let me just say this. First of all, I broke my ankle in uh, uh, Louisville, Louisville, Kentucky uh, prior to going to uh, the, the Pensacola Continental Wrestling uh, associate kind of I keep forgetting Continental Championship Wrestling is what I went for CCW the first time Brad actually Brad called me uh, while I was taking six weeks off at, during my ankle uh, being broke and asked me if I planned to go back to Tennessee to which I said well <laughs> I wasn't really wanting to but what do you have in mind and he said would you like to come here which uh, Bob was booking Pensacola at that time. That was Birmingham, Pensacola, Mobile, and, and that part of the, uh, the, the country. Uh, you had Robert and Ron Fuller. You had Jimmy Golden, Jerry Stubbs, who I'd met in Tennessee. And, uh, gosh, you had Brad, Scott, Steve, Bullock. And, and they said, we, we want you to come in and work a program with Horner. I said, God, that'd be great. So, uh, you know, I, I'm coming off this broken ankle, and I believe I got the cast off two weeks before I went, and I'm I'm going to the gym, and I'm trying to get in shape, and I'm a little leery of my ankle. I, I, I don't know what it's going to be like. You know, I I know the Armstrongs, but I know Jerry, and, and, and I've heard about Pensacola. I've heard about Robert Fuller. Uh, Robert Fuller has a reputation in the business as just being one of the most uh, funniest, uh, enjoyable people to be around, and he, and he was, and he is. Um, but I was a little apprehensive because I wasn't sure uh, what to expect. You know, you, again, you had Adrian Street there at the time, Jody Hamilton, and and some really uh, heavy names in the business that knew the business and veterans and things like this. So when I get there, uh, <laughs> I saw Gordon Soley backstage and I thought, why is Gordon here? You know, I didn't realize he did their TV as well. He, he'd flown up from Florida every week, you know, or every, yeah, no, was, we were doing TV every week in Boutwell Auditorium in Birmingham. And I got there, I did the angle with Horner. Um, and it was just a natural progression because that was a territory that I don't think got a lot of coverage. It didn't get a lot of publicity in the magazines. It got some, but not a lot. And uh, it was a place where guys would go uh, to lay on the beach and have no stress. Uh, you can make a decent living there. You're, you're going to make five, 600 bucks, which in uh, 84, 85 wasn't, or I think I was there in 86. 87 mm-hmm. maybe and whatever yep. it was but at that time i remember making you know five six sometimes seven uh, a week well again for a single guy going out and uh having i got a condo in pensacola brad had a condo like directly 
right downstairs from me. And, uh, you know, we had to cafe back then, but occasionally he'd come over, I'd go over to his place and, uh, you know, hang out before the show or whatever we did. You know, you, you went to the gym, you went to the beach, and you made the towns. Uh, if we had a day off, we'd be barbecuing at Jerry's house or barbecuing somewhere or uh, doing whatever we did. It was it was the best time, um, for me anyway, in the business because it was paradise. I mean, literally, 10 minutes to the gym, and from the gym it was five minutes to the beach, and um, you didn't have to leave sometimes till 3 or 4 o'clock uh, to get to the town, sometimes five. I mean, they were that close. And everybody knew what it was, and nobody wanted to have a bad time. Nobody wanted to ruin paradise. And, and if somebody got there and was a turd in the punch bowl, they weren't there long. So, um, yeah, man, Then I got to work with Brad and Tags. I got to work with Brad and Singles. And uh, I got to work with everybody there who was – who was very, very cool and very, very um, professional. We, we got there when we got there and did our job. And uh, at that time, it seems like the houses were, were pretty damn good. And, uh, again, but th- that was during the time, too, when the business was changing. And, uh, you know, the owners were the Fullers, Jimmy Golden, Bob was an owner. Uh, Roy Lee Welch was, a, was an owner. So, I mean, there were, there were a couple of guys uh that you had to answer to. But for the most part, everybody knew everybody and, and knew what their attitude was. So it just made it that much better. And uh, it goes back to, it doesn't matter how good you are in the ring. It's what you what you do in the back and, and how you get along with others. Because if you can't play with, well with others, uh, you're not going to be there long. So CCW, great territory to work. Excuse me, great territory to work. But, you really don't see Brad for about eight years or so as far as in-ring-wise. So is that one of those things where you just go your own separate ways, you remain friends, you remain tight, but he kind of does his own thing and you do your own thing? Yeah, but but here's the deal. Um, we had gone, yeah, our, our different ways, and Brad, I think, went back to Atlanta, and I, let's see, after Louisiana, I was Tennessee and back and forth to uh, – uh, wherever I wound up, but we always kept in touch, and this was before cell phones, but uh, always just kept in touch, had his mom, dad's number, and uh, he always had a number where I was at. So, and I didn't do that with a whole lot of people. Um, and I, I couldn't tell you why, but there was just, again, that connection with Brad. Uh, because I, <laughs> I've said this before, I could always call him up and say, Brad, I have absolutely nothing to say and all day to say it. What's up? <laughs> and, and and it would start from there. And he would tell me a joke or he'd just tell me what he did that morning or tell me what he did last night. Um, you know, in the meantime, he had gotten married. And, uh, well, I think he got married later on. But, but you know, that, that period of time, uh, you know, we, we, we would stay in touch. So, you know, it, it was it was just one of those things that, uh, and I, I know I wasn't the only guy in the business he was talking to. You know, he, he like I said, everybody else thought he was his, he was their best friend as well. He was a lot of people's best friend. He was definitely mine, that's for sure. Now, as far as when you actually kind of reconnect wrestling wise, nineteen ninety five Smoky Mountain Wrestling, and I know we've talked about this. 
before, but he was elsewhere. When Jimmy Del Rey gets introduced to the Heavenly Bodies, your kind of first thought was Stan Lane leaves. Maybe I get Brad Armstrong. We had previous great chemistry. We were a good team together. We teamed together, uh, you know, for a little bit, but maybe he could be a Heavenly Body. Obviously, they didn't happen that way, but do you still kind of think maybe like that would have worked, or do you think like, nah, that wouldn't have worked? No, nah, I don't think that would have worked because Bob was the commissioner of Smoky Mountain, and it was just he was such a baby face. Brad was such a baby face, and then they turned him in. Jimmy turned him heel when he went to Tennessee, or to, I think it was Smoky Mountain versus USWA. But I, lo- looking back, even even for a short time, I just don't think it would have worked because. Um, just the Armstrong name and, and Bullet's name here in East Tennessee, and, and as the commissioner, that would have had to been, you would have had to involve the Bullet, and I don't know how that would have played out. It would have been great, it would have been a lot of fun, but logically and realistically, I, I really don't see that it could have worked. Do you think that let's just say they put you guys together and were baby faces? Would would have that worked though, or still wouldn't have worked? No, I don't think we could have been baby faces. I, I just, I, I don't, I don't feel that. Uh, you know, if if we were going to be baby faces, it would have to be against. Uh, it would have to be. Uh, Cornette was such a heel here, and then, you know, I think when we worked against the gangsters, uh, we we might have been the the baby faces in the match. But I, I don't think it would have worked uh, to to all all of a sudden make me a baby face just to accommodate Brad. I, I just don't. Gotcha. Now, as you're kind of like moving along and, and you, like you said, life happens, this happens, but you always kept in touch. You mentioned how he was outside of the ring. How come that never kind of translated inside of the ring? You know what I mean? Because you said he was fun-loving, charisma, the life of the party. He never kind of came off that way on screen. That was a big mystery to everyone. Everyone. Uh, and, and I remember Michael Hayes and I had this conversation uh, on more than one occasion, after after having some uh, some very nice Japanese food and maybe some sake, uh, but he, it, Brad just could not translate um, what he was like backstage uh, in front of the cameras. Uh, they tried him on commentary uh, for the the syndicated shows at WWE. And um, he tried. I remember hearing him and Taz go back and forth, and 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 Brad would would uh, try and make a shot and 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 be be like he was backstage, but it just it never gelled. It never worked. And part of the uh, the explanation I came up with was that Bob was such a tremendous worker and such a presence. Um, in the dressing room, he was a no-nonsense guy, Bob was. And when he would go out and cut these promos, now he knew how to cut a promo that was uh, uh, serious and legit, but he could also make it entertaining and remember uh, something to remember him by. Uh, but I, I know that Brad absolutely revered Bob, respected him. He was like a superhero. And he was like a superhero to a lot of the boys in the back. Uh, he just he carried himself that way. He had this this badass attitude. Uh, great guy, Bob. Bob was a tremendous guy. But but I, you know, I I've seen him on more than one occasion uh, where he was he was pretty scary. And uh, 
in fact, real quick, if I can tell you a story, we were, I think, doing a, a tour in Columbus, Ohio, and it was uh, myself, Kevin Sullivan, uh, Bob Armstrong was driving, and Brad was in the front seat of the car. Kevin and I are in the back seat. We're coming back from the gym, and uh, we need to get over in the left lane for the turning lane to, to get to our hotel. Well, Bob turns over, and he cuts off this motorcycle. And uh, the guy on the motorcycle has his girlfriend on the back, too. And uh, uh, the guy had his helmet on and said something. And Bob, you know, like waved at him in the rearview mirror like, sorry, bud, sorry. And as we got to the light, he looked in the rearview mirror and said, why, you son of a bitch, and jammed it in the park. Gets out of the car, and Brad's going, Dad, no. And he goes back. Kevin and I look. We're watching him. Uh, Brad's getting out of the car, too, but he's going, Dad, please, no, get in the car. And Bob goes over to the guy, grabs the guy by his lapels, picks him up, points in his face, boom, puts him back on his bike, gets in the car, jams in the drive, pulling the hotel, doesn't say a word to any of us, and storms back into his room. Now, you know, uh, I don't know too many people. I mean, I do know, but but this was the first time I'd seen it up close and personal. I don't know too many people that would want to mess with Bob. You know, this guy had no idea who was driving the car, but Bob was was fearless, and uh, uh, he translated that, he communicated that, he emitted that vibe every time he walked in. Uh, he was funny, he could be entertaining, but he could turn on a dime like that. And I don't know if that had anything to do with. Uh, Brad going out and wanting to be a, uh, cut a serious promo, you know, in, in front of people and show that he's he's this guy uh, and, and this tremendous worker. You know, Brian Road Dog uh, followed Bob's footsteps with the Marines and uh, did everything from go to the Gulf War to to come out and and, and be a success. So, you know, he he could be entertaining in front of the camera, cut promos and and uh, do the uh, uh, entertainment factor in the ring, whereas Brad, and all the boys will tell you this, all the brothers will tell you this, Brad was the best worker out of the bunch, uh, with the exception of Bob. Bob was Bob was a man, but Brad was, was, out of all the boys, the best worker. And Brian was a, the, the best entertainer, they'll, they'll say. Brian got the, the gift of gab and knew how to, how to command it in front of the camera and backstage. Brian's a... Uh, Brian has a load of personality backstage too, but I think with Brad, it could have been with that, you know, he was the first one to start wrestling with Bob and he started, uh, teaming with Bob at an early age and, and went on the road with Bob and, and, uh, you know, I, I was intimidated by Bob, uh, in the beginning too. And, and even there were still some times that I, uh, even later on, I was going, Oh shit, I don't want to say the wrong thing here. So, you know, I mean, that could have something to do with it. But, um, you know, Michael and I just, just assumed that it's, it's, it's that roadblock that that you either get over or you don't. And, unfortunately, uh, he just never was able to cross over and make that connection. I think it's just so interesting, and that's kind of like a, a good lesson for professional wrestlers or aspiring professional wrestlers out there. You said Brad is the best worker. Brian, the road dog, is the best entertainer. Well, Brian made a huge career for himself and 
became very famous in WWE for all those years. And obviously, the way Outlaws DX had a huge run. So is that one of those cases where, like you said many, many times, in-ring may only be 10%? Is it just a charisma factor? If you can translate that in the ring into the crowd, that will do you more favors than just being a good hand? Yes, I, I do believe that. If you cannot communicate with the audience, if you can't talk, if you can't um, reach your audience, then it's not going to matter because that's what this is. And, um, uh, you know, there there's a lot of intangibles and a lot of elements that people don't see or people can't realize. And they think, oh, my gosh, that can't be the case. Well, yeah, actually, it can be the case. Um, you know, Dusty Rhodes never had a great body. Dusty Rhodes had charisma. Dusty was a great worker, though, uh, especially for his size and especially for what he was uh, portrayed as. I mean, to have the gall to call yourself the American dream. Well, you know, he not only had that gall, but he had that confidence, and that's what you need to have. And while Brad had confidence backstage and and understood that uh, uh, that's what it took to keep the night going, if you will, to keep, uh, you know, the boys <laughs> laughing, joking, whatever it may be, man. It may, you know, backstage plays a huge part and maybe not so much anymore, but but back then it did because you're you're going from town to town, and 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 it was like a band of gypsies or pirates or whatever you want to describe it as. Um, but but you also have to be able to carry that out to the people. You have to be to to have uh, people who pay to come see you. They're paying to see something special. They're paying to see something different than their next door neighbor. Um, Terry Funk was that persona. Terry Funk was that entertainer. Uh, Ivan Putsky, let me just say this, in his early days, he played <laughs> a different Ivan Putsky than he was as the bodybuilder. He had charisma. He was this uh, uh, childlike persona, childlike character, and uh, people enjoyed that. Um, but you have to be able to talk. You have to be able to cut a promo. You have to be able to to get people to listen to you. What is it about you that people are interested in? They want to know. You know, again, I I I I have to hang my head on this again because in his early days with Van Halen, David Lee Roth could tell you a story. It didn't matter what it was, but, and it didn't matter because he was working too, man. It's all rock and roll and wrestling together. Uh, but to me, Dave was one of the best front men in the business because he knew it was all bullshit and he knew how to make the bullshit work. And he knew how to, he knew what the, he knew what the kids wanted to hear. He knew it because he wanted to hear it too. And, and it's just like Ric Flair. Uh, Ric Flair said he went to see Ray Stevens do his bump every night, and when Ray wouldn't do the bump, he left disappointed. So Rick made sure he did that bump, the over the, the turnbuckle, uh, upside-down turnbuckle bump every night because he didn't want people to go away disappointed. Dusty Rhodes would cut a promo, and, and you remembered it, and he told you a story. It wasn't just about the match. 
It was about hard times. It was about, you know, I uh, talked to my man Bob Beckley just a minute ago. He says, when they want to hit you with a good offense, you come with a big defense. You know, and, and that's what I'm going to do. He, he, would, he would interject things that people would say, what did he just say? And, and they'd want to listen to it, and they'd want to uh, come back and see him again. And he would wear the fancy robes, and he would wear something nobody else wears. And, and that's what the business has always been about, and I think that's what's <laughs> what's incredibly missing today is too many guys are getting uh, scripted words that don't always fit how they feel. And the guys who can communicate how they feel um, and make it interesting or um, at least alluring, <laughs> you know, like what is he saying? Why is he? How is he doing that? You know, don't don't tell me how the trick was done. Don't don't show me the magic. Just just perform it and perform it well enough to where I forget about even how it was done. Just because it's natural, because it's you. If Brad could have done what he did backstage, he would have been the absolute best, in my opinion. But he was one of the top five, and he was one of those guys that. Uh, top guys, no matter who it was, whether it was Flair, DiBiase, um, Jake Roberts. I mean, good God Almighty! There's another guy, Jake Roberts, who could who could cut a promo backstage and could be entertaining backstage and intriguing and mysterious, and knew he had the boys because it was all that kind of game, and go out and do the same thing with the audience. So I mean, we're working 24/7, even if we don't know it. And and Brad was working. Uh, but I think he just had one persona in mind and uh, when he went out in front of the cameras, man. So it's it's the greatest business in the world, and it can be the most horrible business in the world because it drains you. It's emotional. It's 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 um, uh, feeling and, and, and really being a part of it. And Brad gave us heart and soul every time he stepped in the ring. And I just wish he would have done it uh, when he was cutting promos because I know he felt it. It's, you just have to be able to let everybody else feel it, too, or make them feel it. When is the last time that you ever saw Brad Armstrong? I had his last match on, uh, gosh, he died November 1st. I had his last match. Talked to I talked to him the day, night before he died on Halloween. We had just moved um, to – we just moved from Tampa, got here – uh Halloween and uh he called me that morning and we had just gone to bed like we got in at five o'clock we had a cab and pigeon forge before our place was ready and uh he called me about nine see if we made it in and he says all right well I'll call. I told him I'd call him that night and he said uh well I'm taking Jillian out his daughter out trick-or-treating so maybe I'll just uh call you when I get back and he didn't but I saw the next day is when I found out. But I saw him. I had his last match. Uh, it was October 27th in Pell City, Alabama. It was me and Micah Taylor against uh, Brad and Mad Dog. So that was in 2012. And then in, uh, on November 1st, he passed away. So, yeah, that was that was it, man. I mean, I talked to him October 31st, and, uh, and that was the last time. Wow, very kind of like freaky, very like powerful, very emotional too. I mean, whew, that's horribly crazy. Terrible. Yeah, yeah. yeah it, was, it was it was the worst day of my life, man. I can honestly say that. <laughs>
did we know what the cause was? Was it a heart attack? What was the do heart we attack? Even know? Yeah, it was a heart attack, uh, a sudden heart attack. So that's what it was. Some pre, you know, preconceived like condition, or do we know any of the details? Well, yeah, I think again, going through the business and. Uh, <laughs> You know who knows, but but I mean, all throughout the years we we've all been in the business, uh, whether it was strenuous or whatever it might be. Uh, I think he might he had an enlarged heart, and um, you know I remember after the match in Pell City he he seemed to have indigestion, but dang, we all have indigestion from time to time. We don't think about it. I never thought about that at all. So. I mean, nobody knows. Nobody really knows, and uh, that was the that was the results of an enlarged heart and having a heart attack. Was he a steroid guy at all? Because he did have a great physique. I'm I'm sure he did. I mean, uh, but I <laughs> I never I never did steroids with Brad, and I never saw him do steroids. But I mean, I'm not we're not going to be naive. I I don't know for a fact. We can all assume all we want, but we know what we do when we assume. So uh, you know, I <laughs> only only he knows for sure. But the 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 cause was a uh, heart attack. Was he kind of a big recreational drug user? Because, you know, obviously back then that was kind of the, the thing with a lot of wrestlers, how you get from town A to town B, and it's a lot of travel. Well, sure. I mean, we all smoke pot. Um, it was it was just a, a natural thing. But, uh, you know, he had everything to live for, uh, his daughter, his wife. Uh, he adored his daughter. He took his daughter to school every day. But, you know, later on, I, I think we all realized you can't keep doing what you're doing um, forever. So, but, yeah, we all smoke pot. And uh, did we drink? Of course. And, uh, but other than that, uh, no, I think Brad was pretty, pretty healthy up to then. Now, so many wrestlers will list him as their favorite or one of their favorites. And sometimes it'll surprise you. But then if you're like a real true wrestling fan, you're like, okay, you know, night off, easy work, you know, easy to be in the ring with, great worker. So do you tend to hear that a lot? Was he like truly, truly an underrated guy within the wrestlers in the business? Yes, most certainly. Um, th- that's the thing. It's like today's fan uh, who have no idea of what, um, you know, there's, there's really no point of reference. Uh, it's a different style. It's a different business. It's a different look. It's a different presentation than it was back then. But the idea was to go out and have a match. And, you know, you were asking earlier about, like, the Samoans. Were they stiff? They looked like they were really killing you. Well, that was the idea. That's that's the way it's supposed to be. That, that, was, that was the way it was supposed to be. And um, uh, <laughs> so when, when I say, uh, or when anybody says anything about Brad Armstrong, because he didn't get um, the recognition because some guys did, they don't understand how good or how great 
he really was because he, well, hell, he wasn't Hulk Hogan. He wasn't Rick Rude. He wasn't Sting. No, but he could take Hulk Hogan. He could take Rick Rude. He could take Sting and make them look better than they were. Um, and that's that's a talent in itself. That's the art of the business. Um, if you don't understand that and you've never had a reference point to, to say, hey, this guy is really great, had one of the best drop kicks in the business, could throw a hell of a punch, uh, could make anything the guy did to him look like a million bucks, um, then you don't understand it. I mean, it's all about it's all about flip flop and fly these days. I'm not knocking it. I'm just saying it was a different different way of doing things back then when Brad was around and when Brad was being touted. You know, same thing as Ric Flair. Uh, a lot of people say, well, he did the same match over and over and over. Well. Maybe so. That that was when cable TV came into effect, and uh, they would see one Ric Flair match. Maybe they've seen it all. But at the same time, Ric Flair was Ric Flair. He was he was a nature boy. He was genuine. Brad Armstrong was a genuine great performer, wrestler. He 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 could he could wrestle. He could make it look like a contest. And in those days, for the most part. That's that was the idea when you went out there. You made it look like a contest. You made it. Of course, you had your entertainment value. And of course, uh, people would say you can't punch somebody in the face five times and and not have a mark. Well, guess what? Brad didn't punch you five times in the face, and he threw forearms more than he threw fists. And and if he threw a fist, it meant something. And, and the guys he worked with knew how to sell it and knew how to make it mean something. So, um, I think it is subjective. And it's all a time frame, too. It's a different era where, uh, <laughs> you know, I remember people fondly remembering Luthez as a great performer, great worker. I remember hearing about uh, the great Jim Lundis. I bring his name up all the time because I've seen Jim Lundis matches going, what? I don't get it. And same thing with Flair or, or Thez. I, I never thought Thez was this magnificent performer. But the idea back then was to make it look like it was a contest, not what make it look like it was a work, not make it look like Circus Soleil. And, um, you know, that was that was their era. That was what they did. Pat O'Connor and Buddy Rogers now, to me, uh, in their era, were, were pretty damn good workers. In fact, great workers. But, you know, not everybody that I've shown that match to uh, gets it. Harley Race and Terry Funk. Great workers, great match. I've got a two out of three fall match I try to show kids, and they just look at me like, eh, I couldn't get into it. So, I mean, I understand. You know, I'm, I'm trying to show you Ringling Brothers Circus when you want to see, you know, the Blue Man Group. I understand. It's a different era. You know, we had lions, tigers, and bears, and now you've got, you know, let's let's make the Statue of Liberty disappear. And it ain't that hard to make the Statue of Liberty disappear when you just switch the stage and you and you make it rotate. It's 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 so easy, but uh, everybody thinks it's uh, magnificent. Those are some uh, great all-time matches there uh, for sure. 
awesome well, stuff well, to kind of learn and watch for sure. Well, if you're a con- if you're a connoisseur of wrestling, if you understand storytelling, if you understand why I'm showing you these matches, the body language, the, the parts in between the spots, the moves in between that lead up to the spots. Uh, how do you get it? How do you lead into the finish? Let's go backwards now, see how they got to the finish and how they started out. So all these elements, if you can comprehend them and get it in your head, uh, then they're great matches because then you understand the psychology. But too many times, and I ran into this last year, a couple of kids, couldn't understand why I was vehement about watching Terry Funk and Harley race two out of three fall match and the finish uh, you can't do today, but it's, you can still tell the same story. I'm not saying do the same match, but you can still tell the same story with, this is what we're trying to get across. Harley is a champion. He doesn't want to lose the belt. Terry is, is is from Texas. It's in Houston. He's the baby face by proxy. And they go out and they're competing and they're telling this story. It's not phony. It's not. They do have some uh, spots in there um, that are interesting. It's the body language. It's the feeling. It's the presentation. But too many too many times, uh, you know, I, I want to go to uh, Ruth Christ. <laughs> well, that's a little too expensive. Uh, but you want to go to McDonald's, and that's okay. I mean, you can get fast food. You can go wherever and have high flying and be satisfied for the moment. But I want something. I want a steak. I, I want to. I want to. I, I want something with substance. I want you to give me that. But uh, to each his own, I guess. I, I'm not, I, I can't knock today's business because obviously there's there's some guys doing pretty good at it. And speaking of today's business and learning and learning under the tree of Dr. Tom Pritchard, check out a jpwrestlingacademy.com for all things JPWA. They have a Patreon page that has been set up. You can become a patron and support JPWA, get some training tips, learn a lot of stuff, become a better worker. Also, a JPWA and Dr. Tom separately have sites on prowrestlingtees.com. Great stuff on there. I always recommend the Wanted Dead or Alive shirt for Dr. Tom, but you could also get a JPWA shirt and support them that way as well. Um, at Two Man Power Trip on Twitter, he's at Dr. Tom Pritchard. Now, Tom, please give us some upcoming appearances and what you got going on. Well, let's just say uh, uh, April 4th in uh, Tampa, Florida at the Central Astorino, A-S-T-U-R-I-A-N-O. I have a seminar going on. It's uh, being put on by David Rolano. Uh, it's the day before WrestleMania, Nightmare, Nightmare Before WrestleMania. And, again, all information is on uh, jpwrestlingacademy.com. Uh, we have some other stuff coming up that will still take place, and we'll have all the announcements on JP Wrestling. Academy.com. Also, I highly recommend if you just have any kind of uh, interest in how <laughs> your favorite superstars like Seamus, uh, Natty, Natalia Neidhart, uh, uh, Josh Seth Rollins, Heath Slater, uh, the guys from FCW, I highly recommend the uh, FCW documentary on WWE.com. They did a great job, and I thank them very much because they didn't have to do that good a job, and it's over an hour long, so... Very, very cool to see. Awesome stuff. And, of course, 
please stick with us because we got some great stuff coming up, some great um, not only episodes, but maybe even some interviews coming up with some legends that we're going to have on this show. So please uh, stay tuned. I appreciate all the fans joining us this week and every week on Taking You to School with Dr. Tom Pritchard. See you next week, folks. Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling. What the world is downloading.